You're listening to Shep Live with 1FM's Terry Cowley. This week's subject for our Back Story Life Journey segment, her name is Anne Thompson. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, uh, Terry. Thank you so much for the invitation. To come oh, today. thank you so much for being with us, Anne. I really appreciate it. I know you've come some distance. Um, you don't live in Shepparton these days, but you spent a great bulk of your life here uh, in the region. Yes, uh, early years I spent here until 2000 and. Oh, well, yeah, 2007, I went back to Melbourne again for the second time. Maybe we can start at the beginning. Now, um, you you were a, um, a GV farm girl, really, weren't you, growing up in the region? Yeah, yeah, I... Um, I'd have to get you to a talk farm. a bit louder, yeah. Mum and Dad had a farm at Ard- Ardmona, um, and that's where our childhood days were. Then after that, um, I married a Kumbuna man, Seth Thompson, and uh, we moved out to Kumbuna. So Kumbuna, there's a lovely property out there, Yakatoon, I think, at the moment that um, I've been seeing a bit about because I think they are doing, uh, they're part of the open garden season. I think Yakatoon is open on Sunday. That was actually the property that you, uh, that you lived on. Yep, that was the, in the Thompson name for many years and, um, yeah, it's called ha- uh, Yakadoon is an Aboriginal name for okay. happy home. Okay. So that was our where our children were born. Okay. Now, it's your children really that uh, have brought you to this microphone today uh, and what an amazing story you do have to tell. It's not a happy one, unfortunately. Tell me about, you got married and you had your boys. Tell me, take me back to that time. So this was in the 50s, 60s, early 60s. Yeah, mid-60s. Tell me about your boys and when you had them. Um, I had Wayne here in the Marutna Hospital and Peter was born in the Shepparton Hospital Um, and they were, what we thought, quite normal active children. So Wayne was born in 1964, Peter followed in 1966, yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Wayne was um, a little bit hard to settle for a start off, Um, wouldn't sleep very much but um, didn't take too much notice of that. Uh, Then we um, went to Melbourne with the transports and I came back here to have Peter um, while we were living in Kew at that time. So life, it was, you know, life was fairly normal. You've got two kids. There, you know, thing, things aren't perfect, but there was nothing really initially that, uh, that worried you about the boys. No, there was no sign of anything as far as I, was, I could see, but my, my mother used to always say, when you go to the doctor, get him checked out. Yeah. It is interesting how family members have a bit of a sixth sense yeah. about these things. Um, I've got a severely disabled brother and uh, my mother had the same experience. People right. would somehow sense that uh, maybe things were not quite as they should be. So you did get him checked out? Yes, I got him checked out by Peter Levin, who was his doctor here at the time. And um, he then sent us off to Melbourne to the Royal Children's Hospital. And, and what happened there? Well, um, the day I took both of them in, um, after a lot of t- 
tests and things carried out that day, by the time we left there at four o'clock, he said to me, um, I don't know whether I've got good news for you. And um, he said, you know, we want to admit Wayne for uh, four days. Well, the four days ended up being two weeks. And um, in the finish, I said, you know, two weeks is quite a long time. For a little tucker, yeah. Yeah, so um, I was in there every day and um, used to cart Peter in because he was only a baby. And um, so uh, then in January, I got him home for Christmas. I said, I'm taking him home for Christmas. Then in January, they did a test on Peter too. And he was diagnosed with the same problem, which is very rare, um, called San Filippo's syndrome. And uh, it's like a child dementia. It's an incurable disease at this stage. We can't raise enough money to try and um, get more tests done and more things happening to try and find a cure. And um, so that was the start of um, a different life. Yes. How much did they tell you at that time? What what sort of prognosis did they give you? They told us that um, they would live to be early teens if they were lucky. And so, yeah, Peter lived to 14 and Wayne was 16. And two months apart. How do you go ahead with that kind of diagnosis, Anne? Was it a matter of taking it day by day? Oh, yes. Yeah, everything's a day by day thing, I think. You know, it's... um, It was... uh, You just never knew... Well, none of us know what's around the corner. No. You know, and so, yeah, it is a day-by-day thing. And um, I don't think you'd need to know too much information. Mm, you can, you, know, get, you can get too much you can information. You get too yes. much overload and then you worry about... Mm, oh, what, things what, that may never happen. But did you do need some information. What, you, you were given a, a prognosis of their life expectancy. What about what kind of a life were, that, they, that they were going to have? Were you given much information about that or did they not know? Well, not at that time. There was only nine, I think, um, back in those days that, that were known. In Australia? Yeah. Nine, nine um, sufferers nine of children. San Filippo syn- yeah. syndrome. And um, they told us that, yes, that they would um, regress, that they would um, probably die of a heart attack or choking um, because the coordination in their throat deteriorates and um, the food was going into their instead of going in their stomach was going into their lungs so they had to have vitamized food and um, at the time of the diagnosis what were what were Wayne and Peter like hyper hyperactive very hyperactive um, yeah to try and keep them in a um, in a pusher I had to tie them in and, um, yeah, they very hyperactive. That's all I can really say. And Walking, talking? No, not re- Well, walking. Wayne was slow walking, but Peter <laughs> walked at six months. So, you know, just went so totally different. You know, that's why we were co- very convinced that there was nothing wrong mm. with Peter. So at the time of diagnosis, they were, they were you know... Um 
pretty happy, energetic boys. Very, yeah. 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 Um, so it must have been hard to kind of reconcile that prognosis with what you saw in front of you. Oh, very hard. Well, was it unbelievable? You just thought it must be a mistake. It yes. must have, yeah, it's unbelievable. Hard. It is hard to try and accept that, you know, you, they're not going to grow up and go to school and all the sorts of things. And, um, of course, I think women will accept it better than men. Did you, did you find that your husband didn't want to talk about it? Oh, didn't want to know about it, didn't believe it. Was he angry? And, uh, yeah, he was angry, yeah. Mm. But he, he came to accept it in the finish, but he would still never talk about it really mm. to me or to people, you know. And that makes it hard, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah he, and he threw himself into to work. Yes, pretty common uh, yeah, yeah. story, isn't it? Driving coaches and driving trucks and... Uh, just kept him away from home, which he was very happy about. Yeah. Then, uh, of course, uh, you're left holding the babies. Of course. Mm. Yeah. Storms don't last, do they? No, no. You just have to work through everything and the sun will come out tomorrow sometime. But some storms are longer than others, aren't they? <laughs> they are. So yes. you're... Predictable. Mm, well, storms are unpredictable and, and, you know, they usually result in rain too, which is... Not always good at the time, but it does lead to growth. Exactly. Yep. It's, um, I always say one door shuts, another one opens as far as life in general. But that must have been a pretty hard thing to remember at times when you had your, when you were, when the boys were growing up, you knew that they weren't going to live to be old people. Um, And it sounded like, wow, really, really hard. I've read about how you've written that you were in a uh, you were in a bed at, at night and you had one boy on one side, one boy on the other side. Um, sometimes they would have to wear nappies. Sometimes they would have fits. It sounds like a pretty hard road, and you did a lot of it on your own. Although I know you did have help from family, from your brothers and from your mum. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it was sort of down to you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It's. Um it was it was a hard road. There's no doubt about it, because um, they had to have twenty four seven care. Now, if they were up all night, you you know had a pain or something. The fact is that they couldn't speak to you and tell you. Um, so you had to try and guess where the pain was coming from. So there was many a night I used to sit in the bean bean bag. We had bean bags for them to sit in. I'd sit in the bean bag just rocking them backwards and forwards but yeah and the epileptic fits well they they would be up to four times a day and um of course you have got to be there for them how did you keep your how did you keep your sanity sometimes did you just think i can't do this um no i don't think i ever thought i can't do it i just used to think how how much longer are these going to last you know, I kind of, I think in the early stages, believed that they would grow out of them. But that was, um, that wasn't quite right. But the children's hospital, I had uh, John Rogers. He was very um, good to me. He used to pick up the phone any time, day or night, and talk to me if I needed it, to, you know, just if I was worried about something. And... Um, yeah, so I, I just think 
look, it, it's like anything. You, you don't know what's around the corner for any child. So, and you just look after them to the best of your ability because there's no book to tell you how to be a parent. No, but it's that strong mother's love, I guess, that, yeah. um, you know, drives you. Yeah, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's definitely a commitment that, you know, they're your kids and you'll do whatever it takes to look after them. Well, at one point, um, I think your husband's family tried to encourage you to institutionalise the boys and you weren't having it, were you? No, they... Um, we were living in Townsville at the time. And we went up there to do the Queensland Nickel Project, or CES did, and um, they came up for a holiday. The in-laws? The in-laws. And they could see how much devotion I had to give to the kids and there was um, very little time. Sess used to go to work early in the morning, get home late at night. So it put a big strain on the relationship. Yeah, very big strain. And as so, it would. Yes, as it, well, any situation would, yeah. So um, they came back to Victoria and the next thing I knew that I had to be living in the state of Victoria because they were going to be put into Kew Cottages for two weeks. Well, that was two weeks of hell. They... I didn't leave them there. I, I, too much happened in, in the short time they were there. After the two weeks, they put uh, one of them permanent and um, they did go in permanent for a few months. But um, I just didn't finish said well. They're coming home with me, and that's all there is about it. What were you? What were you thinking? You just—they're my responsibility. Yeah. Institutionalised care is not. Brought into the world, did they? Yeah. Institutionalised yeah. care is not the same, no matter how many, how we want to sugarcoat it. So you wanted the best for your boys. Yeah, I wanted them close by because no one understood what they had wrong with them. The fact that they couldn't talk—they were in nappies. Um, who's going to know what to do for them? The only person who knew was me. So you did get respite sometimes. Um, your mum, for example, would take one of the boys out uh, in a in a pram, and you'd get to do something for yourself. What did you do for yourself when you when you got those moments, Anne? Well, that was um, when we were living in um, in Melbourne. I had a young brother come and live with me, Ian, and um, he used to play football. So after, um, after the footy match, we used to um, go and down to the club rooms and have a drink. So I'd do that for probably an hour. And, um, yeah, sometimes we used to just have spend time kind of taking mum and the boys. We'd go out for lunch. Um, we'd go for drives. But... When we moved back to the farm, I had my other brother, Keith, from Rupna. He would, um, he'd be there if ever I was wanting something done or... <laughs> he was like a, my right hand. What was the bond between the boys like? They obviously interacted. Oh, yeah, they, they, they were very, um, very close. Um, if one was sick, the other one was kind of... Even the doctors at the hospital said, you know, um, they both are in tune with one another. And he said, when one dies, the other one will die close after. 
and that was the truth because it was only two months when Wayne died after Peter. How, how were they very ill before they died or was it sudden? Yeah, they got pneumonia um, and, uh, yeah, they just went downhill very fast. Uh, not Wayne, Peter. Peter did. So your younger son died the first. The younger son died first, yeah. And he, um, yeah, he got a pneumonia. I kept him at home until two days before he passed. And I ended up having to take him to Melbourne to the children's hospital. But Wayne passed at home at Yakutun. Was that sudden? Um, well, I put him to bed and I didn't think it was going to happen that night, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, so I guess it was unknown that that was what was going to happen that night. You know? Where do you go from there, Anne? Because this is, I think, 1981. And the beginning of 1981, you have two boys. And the, by the time you get to the end of 1981, you, you don't have any boys alive anymore. I mean, that's a massive change. It was a massive change. And it's traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I think we knew it was going to happen. But that you can't prepare yourself for it. No, it doesn't make no. it any easier, I wouldn't imagine. No. So, um, yeah, it was difficult afterwards because um, we couldn't converse you know I'd want to talk when you say where you're talking about your husband Seth and yourself yes I'd want to I'd want to talk and he 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 withdrew want to, he'd want to get in the car or the mm. truck or the bus or something and, and go away you can sort of it's a typical male response yeah, and sort of a typical, a typical female male. response too to want to talk yeah yeah mm. well that's exactly right mm. um so he um, he handled it the way he could, doing whatever, you know, was right for him. And this ultimately led to you going your separate ways? Yeah, we... Look, after 12 months, we had a try on separation, but it um, was only for probably, oh, a month. But he was coming in every night to have a meal and stay and... Then I'd go back to the farm at weekends and um, we tried four times. <laughs> it didn't, it just it wasn't meant to be, you know. It was a very common story though, isn't it? You, you hear about uh, parents losing a child. It's very, it can be very, um, often they will separate because that's such a massively traumatic thing to get over, isn't it? They say 85% of marriages break down through the death of one child so I don't think ours had very much of a chance because you know it was a rocky road right through as far as you know once the children were born and we knew what was wrong with them and this disease is the most horrid damn thing um, to see them from walking and talking um, and when they got to the age of seven and eight it all disappeared. That they regression. Just, yeah, they yep. just went round round circles and fell over and, and got the stutters and and that was kind of like the finish of that part of, you know. Heartbreaking. Yep. So you chose a song called Loving Can Hurt and <laughs> I, I, can, I can certainly appreciate why after um, talking to you, but I'm, I'm sure we can all relate to that. Yes, I'm sure. Love is a double-edged sword. It makes us vulnerable. It's, it's a beautiful thing and we have to do it, but it makes us vulnerable, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. So um, we 
before we let you go, because unfortunately we're running out of time as we always do, just want to let people know about the San Filippo Children's Foundation because there are obviously still a lot of kids who have this syndrome and only through research can a cure be found. So if you'd like to know more, you can go to the San Filippo Foundation website. It's www.sanfilippo.org.au and uh, I warn you, it'll break your heart a little bit looking at the pictures of these kids who have got it and, and don't have a great prognosis at this stage. But hopefully in time with research, that will change, Anne. And I know that you're still, despite the fact that it's a long time since your boys died, 1981, you're still very active, you're still raising money, you're still raising awareness. Look what you're doing. You're sitting here right now talking to me about it. Exactly. And, you know, you never give up as far as trying to... When you see these kids um, and what they go through and what the parents go through, you just pray that someday there'll be some solution to finding a cure. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, when you leave here today, you're going to pay a visit to the boys' grave at Marupna, is that right? Yeah, it needs a bit of cleaning up, I'm afraid. With living in Geelong, you don't... Um, there's no one here now to go out and check on it too much. So, yeah, I'll take my shovel and my broom and I'll go over there and, cl- and clean it up and make it look presentable. Do you talk to the boys? Oh, quite often. I don't have to be at the cemetery to talk to them. Um, no, I, um, yeah, I believe they're around. I believe that um, life after, um, yeah. So I never kind of feel that they're not too far away. <clears throat> Excuse me. And since then, they've given you a, a real zest for life. You've tried so many things. Do you think that is part of their gift to you? Oh, look, I think so. I think that, um, you know, had I uh, just been stayed in the country, in Shepparton, around this area, um, I wouldn't have ha- had the experiences that I've had. And um, I've been very lucky as far as things have how things have turned out um, in the later part you're an amazing lady Anne and I can't thank you enough for talking to us today all the best for the future Anne thanks very much Terry thanks for having me thank you again thank you you've been listening to the Ship Life Podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on SoundCloud find it on the 1FM Facebook page or search Ship Life Group on Facebook once approved you'll be kept up to date with links to future shows If you'd like to hear the show live, you can tune in to 98.5 on your radio or stream through fm985.com.au or the TuneIn app on your Android or iOS device. Friday mornings from 9am to midday.